Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and welcome to The Christopher Perrin Show. This is a podcast, which is a part of the truenorth.fm podcast network. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about the resurgence of classical education among African Americans. But I'm going to do it by referencing one of the earliest classical schools for African Americans, the Lawrence Dunbar School. You might not know it, but in this country today, there is a resurgence of interest among African Americans simply in getting the best education for their children, even if it means going to homeschooling. And I don't say that as if it's a, a you know, the last possible resort. Homeschooling is a great option for many families. Prior to 2020, about 3% of American families were homeschooling. That's not a number to be scoffed at, but it's not a huge number. But by 2020, and we know this by the looking at the 2020 census, by 2020, 11% of Americans were homeschooling their children. That's almost quadrupling the amount of families that are homeschooling. But get this, among African Americans, that number climbed from 3% to 16%. That's over five times the amount of African American families in about two years deciding to homeschool their families. This is a huge change in education, a huge change among African Americans, but a huge change generally. So almost, and some are saying it's almost 18% now of African American families are homeschooling. That's almost one in five African American families choosing to homeschool. This is not being talked about very much, but it's a really important change. African American families, like all American families, want a really good education, a really good opportunity for their children. This was also true as far back as you want to go. Isn't this true of parents generally? But we know that in America, there wasn't quite the opportunity for African Americans that there were for whites prior to the Civil War and even for a long time after the Civil War. And that struggle in various ways may still continue, right? But did you know that as early as 1830, African Americans in Washington, D.C. were free. About 80% of the African American population in Washington, D.C. in 1830 were free Americans. So imagine free blacks wanting to provide a great education in Washington, D.C. Why that was the case is interesting. It has something to do with the federal government being in Washington, D.C.? But leaving aside those historical circumstances, just know that it was true. So what would those families want to do for their kids? What kind of education would they want to provide? Well, they would want to provide the same education that any other family was getting. And so a school was started in 1870 called the Lawrence Dunbar School, named after the famous African-American poet Lawrence Dunbar. And the Dunbar School is an interesting and unusual example of great success in education that is often unknown among educators and Americans generally. That's why I'm telling you this story. I heard it from Thomas Sowell, and you can look up his article online. It's called Black Excellence, The Case of the Dunbar High School by Thomas Sowell, published, I think, in the early 70s. You can download it and read, read for yourself the story of the Dunbar School. But these African-American families Put, came together and created a school that was as good as any other school in Washington, D.C., and by some measures, better when you look at how these students performed. Outperformed certainly any other 
school that was uh, available for African Americans. Remarkable. And let me just give you some statistics to show you why this is the case. And I'll just quote right from the article. In their careers, as in their academic work, Dunbar graduates excelled. The first black general, Benjamin O. Davis, the first black federal judge, William H. Hasty, the first black cabinet member, Robert C. Weaver, the discoverer of blood plasma, Charles Drew, and the first black senator since Reconstruction, Edward W. Brooke, were all Dunbar graduates. That's just noteworthy in itself, and I think perhaps sufficient evidence. The first black cabinet member, the first black general, the first black federal judge, the first black senator, were all graduates of this school called the Dunbar School. Some of the folks who came to lead this school were those who had gotten their PhDs and college degrees. Some of the first black Americans ever to get college degrees were teaching at the Dunbar School. And one reason why is because they couldn't teach elsewhere. But so a tremendous pool of talented educators did come to the Dunbar School to teach. For example, the very first African-American woman to receive a college degree, her name was Mary Jane Patterson. And Mary Jane Patterson came to be one of the early principals at the Dunbar School. Uh, let me just read again from Seoul. The early principals were equally remarkable people. Mary Jane Patterson not only was the first black woman in the United States to earn a college degree, she did it by spurning the usual courses uh, for women at Oberlin, where she went to school, and taking instead a program of Greek, Latin, and higher mathematics designed for gentlemen. As principal, she was a strong and forceful personality noted for thoroughness and for being an indefatigable worker. She was principal for a dozen years in the formative period of the school. And there were many others. So great teachers, great leaders, some first of their kind came to the Dunbar School and taught and in essence then created students and graduates who were first of their kind. Now, we've highlighted some of these great names, some of these great successes, but there are many others who might not have been, an, you know, become a, a U.S. senator, but did remarkable things. The number of graduates who did remarkable things from this school is, is astounding. And it's nonetheless not surprising because we know that a really good education is one of the sine qua nons of being able to serve well in any area of life. Uh, education, we know, is so formative for what we become. It is the forming of a human soul, the forming of a person. It's not just job training. And if you look at the curriculum of the Dunbar School, that's what it was. Well, what was the curriculum of a good school in the 1800s? It was a classical liberal arts curriculum. It was not focused on vocational training. The, the founders of the Dunbar School did not want to do vocational training. They wanted to provide education, an education that would prepare men and women for anything they would set their hands to do, whether it was a vocation, a trade, working with one's hands, which is a noble affair, or becoming a general, a senator, a judge, a doctor. A good classical liberal arts education opens all of these doors as potential avenues for living life and serving. So the Dunbar School, 
before the Civil War. One irony of the Dunbar School, and it's not because I want to criticize this Supreme Court decision, but the school was essentially destroyed by Brown versus Board of Education because the Dunbar School, it, lived, it was in a neighborhood, but it wasn't a neighborhood school. African-Americans from all over D.C. would send their kids to the Dunbar School because of how excellent it prepared anyone. But, of course, as you know, when uh, the Supreme Court decided to desegregate all schools, that just meant that, well, the Dunbar School did become a neighborhood, neighborhood school and had to be integrated, etc. And it changed the curriculum, it changed the clientele, it changed the students. So the Dunbar School really was the Dunbar School, as we're discuss describing it today, from 1870 to 1955. Now... It had this unusual opportunity because we know down in, in, the, in the southern states, this opportunity did not exist as it did at the Dunbar School. It was ahead of its time because African-Americans were free as early as 1830 in Washington, D.C. And then we see the results are remarkable. What's the lesson here? The lesson is any human being at any time who receives a good liberal arts education is going to be liberated to serve in so many different ways, regardless of race, regardless of social status and class, anyone who's given the gift of this kinds of education will be blessed and will be a blessing to others. And so as Americans of all kinds today are thinking about what would be the very best education we can give to our students, we naturally look back to the past and ask, well, how was Jonathan Edwards educated? How was Martin Luther educated, and how was Martin Luther King Jr. educated? If we, how was C.S. Lewis educated, or Tolkien, or Dorothy Sayers, or Charles Dickens, or anyone else that you would admire who's made great contributions to humanity? Well, wouldn't we want to educate our children the same way? So as we've looked back to the past for the enduring perennial wisdom we have found this thing that, for lack of a better phrase, we call classical education, classical liberal arts education. And we found that it does a great job of forming and preparing human beings to flourish. So now, in this moment, we can be inspired by past moments. And by the way, that's what you'll see in this book the liberal arts tradition. For those of you who are not watching the video, I'm holding up a book, The Black Intellectual Tradition, Reading Freedom in Classical Literature by Angel Adams Parham and Anika Prather, both professors, both African-American women and students of education and practitioners of classical education, seeking to bring it to every human being, but especially the African-American community. We can talk more about that book in a future episode. But for now, just know, African-Americans in large numbers are looking for alternatives. Many of them are homeschooling. Many of them are looking for good private schools, some for classical charter schools. Uh, there's uh, there's so, some great schools already in existence, by the way. I just thought I'd mention them in, in closing that are seeking to bring great education to African-Americans. Uh, Angel Adams Parham herself has created the uh, Nyanza Classical Community that provides after-school tutoring and education for African-Americans. She started that in New Orleans. And uh, 
um, Anika Prather has started the Living Water School that's hosted in, in Alexandria, Virginia. There's Hope Academy, a thriving school in Minneapolis with some 600 or so students serving primarily, um, a, well, a large population, a majority population of African-Americans. Uh, there's Logos Academy in York, Pennsylvania. There's the Oaks Academy in Indianapolis and several others that are seeking to provide great liberal arts education to African-Americans, to Asian-Americans, to Hispanic-Americans, and white Americans. These are remarkable schools, and you should know about them if you're interested in seeing classical education flourishing and brought to humans of every class, every race, every tongue. Take a look at this essay, Black Excellence, The Case of the Dunbar High School by Thomas Sowell. I think you'll find it quite inspiring. Well, thanks for listening and thanks for watching. This is Christopher Perrin with The Christopher Perrin Show and the TrueNorth.fm podcast network.